Welcome everyone to the podcast, It Should Go Without Saying. I'm Andrew Lewis. Um, just wanted to pop on here and have a bit of a chat about uh, the prevailing news of the last few days, uh, and that is the the death of of the greatest spinner and perhaps the greatest cricket of all time in Shane Warne. Uh, joining me to talk cricket, uh, as he usually does, is Cameron McDonald. Um, I'm not necessarily going to ask you how you are, Cameron, but uh, I guess the first question would probably be off the bat is, um, you know, so how did you hear the news? Yeah, I I woke to the news, punter. I um I I watched a bit of the Australia Pakistan test, um, which they they may have achieved a result over 25 days, and <laughs> um, yeah, sort of popped off to bed and and woke up to the news, which. It was quite interesting, like, as the tributes began to flood in, um, I had to listen to that, um, the Final Word podcast, and it, the news hadn't rung in as they finished up for the day. So they had to cover an, of day two, and it must have been a, just a dreadful shock for some of those people heading home after a day of test cricket to hear that um, the great man had passed. But, yeah, woke up to the news, and um, it was one of those things that... Uh, <laughs> If there was, if there was a a champion sportsman from my lifetime who who might be living fast enough to die young, um, then maybe it was Shane Warne. Um, and I heard somebody else reference that maybe old age wouldn't have suited him um, terribly. So I'm taking something out of that, I suppose. But even with all of that, and even knowing how much he liked to put lasagna into a bread roll. Um, and and smoke a pack of cigarettes. Um, part of me thought he'd live forever. Yeah, um, I, I, I was I I received a message, which, um, having had the job that I've had for a while, I I my phone is set to not buzz for nearly most messages. Too many um, too many you know organisation wide WhatsApp groups. Um, for those who've known me. Um, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, not that we're necessarily in WhatsApp groups, but um, certainly this time of the year, the only thing that makes my phone buzz is the Mick Emergency app, you know, because um, everything else can wait until the morning and um, um, other than a bushfire. Um, but I, I got a message from a mate who has, you know, is probably amongst my friends, the one who is least interested in sport. Um, you know, messaged me like two o'clock in the morning and I woke up to the message, um, which I think most people in Australia did. Um, yeah, it, it, I don't know if it actually hit me until yesterday afternoon when I just, I, I, I caught a little bit of offsiders and, and, and Gideon Haig was talking about him off the bat and just said a few things that probably um, weren't, Stuff that rolled off the tongue for most people in terms of the tributes of him, but it, it's it, it's for me it's interesting to put into context, and 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 he sort of touches on a, on a, a number of things that are close to me that are quite different. Um, Shane Moore made his debut in the Test team in January 1992. That was for me the summer between primary school and high school. Um, usually a pretty eventful time in a in a kid's life. Um, so then I grew up, you know, through, 
through high school and and so for people for people my age probably people who are a little older but and people who are a little younger probably i mean you would have been nearly seven i think um when Warren made his debut mm. um but it was sort of in the I, I on the Friday before it happened, I was trying to consume as much stuff about Rod Marsh as I can, who just who 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 passed away um, the day before, um, because Rod Marsh retired when I was three and a half, and it was just like it was before um, my experience. So I just wanted to, you know, sort of get an appreciation um, more than I had before. But I, I don't really I didn't really need that with Shane because it's very much in my memory the whole the whole Shane Warne experience. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, um, and I'm sure there'll be someone who might not necessarily agree with a characterization that Elwood and Sandringham are sort of the same place. Um, but Shane Warne was not only very Victorian, not only very Melbourne, but very distinctly Bayside. Um, you know, so I, 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 what about the time Shane Warne was breaking onto the scene? That that golden summer of 93, 94, which is probably the best summer of Australian cricket anyone's ever played. Um, you know, I was travelling around, you know, Sandringham, Hyatt, Moorabbin, Bentley East, playing, you know, playing junior cricket. So, you know, bouncing around those places, it's an area where if, if I didn't grow up in Sandringham, I grew up close to Sandringham and it, and it feels very familiar. And, and, it, that was the thing that sort of brought it home for me was Gideon Haig sort of putting it in that interesting context of, you know, a very, you know, it wasn't, it's not the outer suburbs, but that sort of middle suburb sensibility of someone that age who, and, and, and Haig spoke about how Warren was punctual. That was the reason why they raised the alarm on, on when, when it happened is that he was 15 minutes late for, for dinner, which he never did, which he never, he was never late. Um, you know, he he had time for children. Um, he was courteous to his elders, all that sort of a very, almost a very old-fashioned upbringing, but not not ridiculously old-fashioned, but someone who was born in 1969, grew up in the 70s, who would have been able to, you know, go out and, you know, play down the street and come home when dinner's ready and... um you know, product of a different time, um, but not a time that that's, that doesn't, that seems that long ago. Um, so, I mean, that would, that was sort of where it hit me is just into putting just Gideon who, who sort of becomes the, the national conscience in moments like these, um, sort of putting it into that context. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, I, I I've got 10 great worn moments <laughs> that I, that I got down and to be, you know, we, we've talked about, um, you know, the great Australian players of the last 40 or 50 years, quite a bit on our last couple of pods that we talked about cricket, but we sort of seem to gloss over Warren quite a bit, is my memory. I haven't gone back and listened to the podcast, but it was just like we would talk more about their controversial selections and Warren was the least controversial selection in any team. Um, so I've got these down in chronological order, the 10, um, the 10 sort of, Warm moments are stuck in my mind. Um, first of all, was the 
the three three for none, I think, in versus Sri Lanka. Um, I found only found out today, or, or remembered today after being reminded, that was the first test he didn't play the rest of the series. Um, they they dropped him for Tony Dottomade for the <laughs> second and third test matches. Um, um, the Boxing Day test match of 1992 against the West Indies. Now, my memory serves me correctly. We went to that went to two days of that test match together. Um, but we saw Alan Border and Mark War make hundreds on Boxing Day, and then we went back for day three. Um, Warren bowled the straight of victory on day five. Um, the most famous of those seven wickets he took on that day being the flipper that got Richie Richardson. Yeah. Um, then there was the Gatting Ball, which I think has been talked about quite a lot um, and deserves to be talked about. Um, quite amazing. It's a, it, it happened on a Friday night in June. Um, Australian time. Um, there was no football on that Friday night because it was a State of Origin weekend. Mm. Um, it was that short season that where they had the two fewer games, the seasons where they had the 15 teams in the competition. So there was a Victoria South Australia State of Origin match the next day, which started at like 4.40. Um, but there was nothing to distract anyone from turning on and paying attention to that test match, that day of test cricket on that day. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I'm immediately transported back to the couch at Dad's house in Carlton. Um, it's it's amazing how a moment can just take you back. But the Gatting Ball, I'll always quite young and quite worried about England being one for eighty odd. Um, and I can remember my stepmum saying, "We need a wicket here." And Shane Warne coming on to bowl and. It's weird to think we're a cricket obsessed kid that um, I have. I really have no recollection of the um, of his first test in Australia and getting the suitcase belted out of him by um, Ravi Shastri. Um, so you know, I, I couldn't place who this fella was on the TV um, bowling his first ball in England, and he's just. Um, we need a wicket here, boys, and that was delivered. And I'll just, I'll always be able to remember where I was in that moment that a, a star was born. Um, absolutely extraordinary that that would happen in your first ball and in, um, in another country. And and you know to hear that to hear that ball referenced, um, and to hear about Border saying, you know, don't bowl any. Don't bowl any mystery balls in any of the tour games. So, you know, you hear about Graham Hick absolutely belting him in, in, in one of the four-day games in the lead-up to the, that first test and just bowling leg breaks. And Graham Hick feasting on him in much the same way that Shastri had, but the, the, the true genius of Warren was unleashed. And there always was that kind of mystery about Warren there, like, it's what made him such a rock star, I suppose. But I can recall so many years before the summer of cricket beginning and them saying, and Warren saying, I've got a mystery ball this summer. And whether he had one or not, you know, he just, the theatre of it all was so important to him. And I'm sure you're going to reference a few more great moments of theatre. But um, yeah, Shane Warren arrived in that moment to the world. Absolutely. And, and, um, 
I think he got Robin Smith, like maybe an over or two later, mm. um, with a ball and a, a mode of dismissal that would happen a lot, which was which was caught Taylor by Warren at first slip. Um, we, 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 our memories can be um, confirmed by the national treasure that it is uh, Rob Moody, Rob Belinda. Um, he's been posting all sorts of. Um, Worn videos over the last few days, and I, I suspect he's not quite finished. So, but <laughs> um, yeah, the and I think on one of the compilation videos, Richie Beno talks about um, another delivery later on the day that got someone else. It might have been Gooch. Uh, uh, certainly, there was there were more incredible deliveries. There was there was a Gooch one around his legs either later in that test match or later in the series, which was the first of those ones. Um, the first of the He's almost pitched it off the cut surface um, and it's spun back to hit leg stump. Um, you know, just just incredible. Um, it's amazing how many of, of Warren's great moments were commentated by Benno as well as um, as as um, as Moody uh, posts all these videos. It's one of the first things you notice. I mean, firstly, how um, Benno could capture any moment perfectly, but there was such nice symmetry in in um a great leg spinner calling an even greater leg spinner and what joy that must have brought him mm. but it was like there was an understanding that the handover should take place if Warren did something spectacular so sometimes the the game's kind of drifting along and and you know somebody else is talking and um and the handover occurs because Warren does something amazing and you'll just hear Benno isn't that magnificent or something like that? Well, I mean, you know, and... I've just thought of two other ones that I didn't have on my list. Um, one of which I can remember, I can certainly know that Benno commentated, which was the Bazadali through his legs in 95. That's on um, my list. If we're talking, if we're talking theatre, um, the, I'll never forget the, actually I can reference where I was again, because oftentimes, um, around that time of year, we'd we'd head to folk festivals, and one particular folk festival at um, Nariel, uh, near the border of Victoria and New South Wales, and long trips in the car and uh, test matches blaring on the radio and things like that. But I remember how long it took for that last ball of the day to be bowled, and then to hear um, Ian Healy um, speak about it, um, the mid pitch conversation, um, which was all just to get under Basadali's skin, where you know. Zero cricket was discussed. Um, I think they were talking about where they were going to go for dinner that night, but it was just to kind of make him wait, and um, and the rest is history. And and to be fair, no one in Australia ever heard of Bazadali again. You know, he didn't come back. He wasn't in the side for much longer after that. So, um, probably one of many many careers um, that worn curtailed at the very least and ended at the very most but i didn't there was the one I didn't, and the other one that i just thought of there was the callus the 300th at the scg which mm. happened at about 7 30 at night they just kept playing so <laughs> but i'm pretty sure bill laurie was commentating it um but back to sydney 93 94 i had that it's hard to pick out one out of that season because I, I, I do genuinely think it's the best season of cricket I've ever seen anyone play. Everything he touched worked that, that summer. Um, you know, just to have a leg spinner in the one-day team, but to have a leg spinner dominate 
the one day game. I think it was the easiest international cricketer of the year award they ever gave. And mm. there have been some great summers um, that won that award. Haynes in 88-89, you know, two or three of Viv's seasons. Um, but uh, that was just incredible. The, the, the Taking the seven for on the first day mm. in that Sydney test match. Um, Simcox around the legs, Cullen with a flipper and a send-off. Could sort of see what was what was coming in terms of there was going to be a comeback for Warren, and I guess it happened in South Africa after that. But um, I had the hat trick, obviously, and it has something in common with the, the 92 uh, Boxing Day test match in so much as this is back in the days when you only got the last session live into Melbourne. So if you weren't the game, um, pre-internet so if you weren't listening on the radio um, you might not get news about what had happened I think Channel 9 might have actually just decided to start showing the fifth morning into Melbourne as soon as the test match had ended so it's, they started showing it at midday they probably showed it again at 4 o'clock um, but the game was over so there was no worries about crowd not turning up but um just an incredible moment I got for, for, for him to take a hat trick and to um it's just a just a testament to his genius that you know he gets Devin Malcolm on strike for the for, for the hat trick ball who somehow was not batting number 11 um <laughs> and I mean a very good moment of commentary for me and Chapa when he says you don't want to bowl a big ripping leg spinner here because he'd probably miss it something that doesn't spin that much like a top spinner is exactly what Warren bowls David Boone on his birthday takes one of the great catches of all time Tony Gregg you know says he's gone 10 times in three seconds <laughs> just just a great moment and another one that that transports me back to um an old Mazda 323 and um, that was parked in the festival grounds and uh, I would run the battery of that car flat listening to the uh, Boxing Day test on certain days of the festival when, you know, that car with no air con and just sitting in it on a 40-degree day on the border of Victoria and New South Wales and then uh, every now and again hopping out of the car to go and have a dip and tell everybody, Warnie took a hat-trick. Um, <laughs> But yeah, magnificent. So two of the last five moments have to do with when you get to a certain point as a sports person, when you reach a certain point of success, you can sort of you can sort of start to make things happen through sheer force of will. Um Can I guess what they are? You can certainly guess. They would be Amazing Adelaide yep. and the uh, World Cup semi final. That's that's Absolutely correct. Um, the the World Cup semi final, which is because of the stakes, it, you know, four thirty eight is an incredible game. But it was the last match of a one day series where I think one team had already, I think Australia had already won the series. So it's it's an you know it's an incredible feat um, and an incredible moment in time. But there were no stakes. You know, this is this, I mean, this is a day that South African cricket continues to pay for. Um, they have Australia four for not many, 
um, Bevan and I think Steve War sort of rescue it. Then it then it falls away again, and they get to about two hundred and ten, which is you know it's a it's a day in the park. It's a T twenty score nowadays. And then they're like none for forty eight off the first ten overs. They're they're off to a flyer. This is in hand, and War is left with no choice but to throw the ball to Warren before the field is out. Warren just changes the game through force of will, and he hadn't been playing well. It was all this, you know, we've, it's been well gone over, you know, what had happened. Warren had come back from shoulder surgery. He wasn't in form yet. He got dropped in the West Indies series, something he never forgave, forgave Steve War for. But then he, you know, he he, he senses the moment, um, and he gets Gibbs. He gets everybody, you know, he starts doing the come on, you know, yeah, yeah, we're in oh, this. Yeah, you know, it's the belief. It's 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 callous walking in that fourth year game and saying, "I think they're ten short." You know, it's like I think we can win. I think we're going to win from here. Suddenly, yeah. they all start believing. You know, in one of the great moments of you know celestial or gal- galaxial alignment, he gets Cronje and Cronje doesn't hit it. Yeah, goes to first thing. slip and it's off his toe. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to find a more you know everybody can get on board that this bloke's a villain. Um, in history than Hansi Cronje, but um, I think he gets Gary Kirsten as well in those first yeah, three. And then he comes back and gets another wicket when he comes back, just as they're starting to look like with about what about thirteen overs to go, he gets another wicket and they're just just incredible. Um, he gets callous at that moment, so yeah, he, he he runs through Gibbs, Kirsten, Cronje, and then callous when. He'd, he'd made 50-odd off about 90 balls, which I think yeah. was the fastest he ever batted. And, um, uh, yeah, Warren, Warren got him scooping to Mark War at, um, at short cover and, yeah, turned it again. Which and is... then we all know the conclusion to that match um, and, and what kind of tournament Lance Klusner had had up until that point. But uh, very little danger that Klusner has to bat at all if it's not for the genius of um of Warren. And I I think it needs to be said, you know, podcast where we're talking about him, is that another one, you know, it's one of the main things that made him different to others. Shane Warren consistently and repeatedly got good batsmen out. He got the you yeah. know yeah, it's just that, that that there's no Shane Elworthy or uh Nicky Boye, or it's, it's he got Cronje, Callis, Kirsten, and Gibbs out. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, just continuing in chronological order, I had the the comeback from the suspension in 04, where I think if, if there was sort of a, a groundswell that, you know, this was the time where Warren was going to sort of fall on his face, um, it was going to be at this moment that it was going to be a year out of the game and he just wasn't going to be the same. And then he came back and it was like nothing had changed. Um, it was like that 12 months hadn't happened. Just an incredible first up series in Sri Lanka. And then, you know, they're off the races. Um, yeah. The 05 Ashes is maybe his greatest achievement. Absolutely extraordinary. And you know, a one-man band just about yeah. with bat and ball. Yeah. Um, there's no... There's no, there's no second test without his eighty odd, and then he then he tramples on his stumps. You know, it's just we talk about theatre, um, and then of course the the you know I think the final sort of bit of theatre was him 
dropping Peterson at the Oval when, you know, mm. who knows what happens from that moment. But um, And then there's Adelaide. Um, <laughs> or I think I I had written a very short blog post on my MySpace page um, suggesting the game was going out, it was just going to peter out to a meaningless draw. Um, England were 60, 70 runs ahead with nine wickets in hand. 70 runs ahead with nine wickets in hand. Yep, going to the last day. And again, like like at the like in the semi-final of the 99 World Cup, Warren just made it happen through force of will. Peterson had famously said before the series, he'll never bowl me around his legs. He does. He bowls him around his legs. <laughs> he just, you know, it was like a shark circling. It was, it was, you know, it was like the velociraptor in Jurassic Park when they're, you know, they're circling their prey. They, they got stunned and, and then, and Warren just went in for the kill. Um, it's the most, it's the most uh, afraid in cricket team. They were just, they just, knew what was about to happen to them, I think. Mm. And then another, the last one was another moment we were together for, and that was his 700th wicket on Boxing Day. Now, someone, I'll, I'll find it on, because I, I had responded to it. Um, so bear with me just for a moment while I find it on my Twitter feed. Um, yeah, it was cra- Crash Craddock on Jared Waitley SEN last, yesterday. He said, before Shane Warne, leg spinners were saying, I can't bowl when it's wet on the first day to <laughs> top order batsman and when the wicket's green. <laughs> that is the entire description of Boxing Day 2006. It was 14 degrees. Um, the pitch was green. Um, it was the first day. And Andrew Strauss was perhaps their best batsman. It just, it was perfect. It was a perfect moment. Yeah. And and, and just, and again, it encapsulated the fact that, you know, above everything else, Shane Warne was and belonged to Melbourne. Absolutely. And I like, it, you know, above all things, he belonged to Melbourne. And it's a lovely gesture that the great Southern stand um, will become the Shane Warne stand or a, a version of that. Um you know, it's fitting and it could have perhaps happened while uh, he was alive, really. Um, but what's, I mean, what's extraordinary to me um, is to hear, to hear people from the countries that he terrorised speak about him. Um, he was just, he, he legitimately was universally loved. Um, everybody's heartbroken by this. It transcended cricket. Like in a way that few, if any, cricketers have ever done, um, you know. And and O five, that they referenced that moment where the Barmy Army warns down on the fence, and they've they've won the Ashes. Um, in you know one of the greatest Test series of all time, um, but the Barmy Army is still saying we just wish you were English to Warney, who's, um, you know, obviously his heroics we've spoken about already, but um, he just meant the world to everybody. And then he kind of was everybody's. That's the other thing that, you know, you and I uh, have both referenced our 
our warning moments through the week and the, the times when he um, impacted us in tiny little ways. And they're probably both worth re- worth referencing again, I suppose, on the podcast. Mm. Um, mine to kick off with was um, my career highlight as an actor, singing the boxing, singing the uh, national anthem at the Boxing Day Test um, in 2014 for Australia versus India. Felt like incredible moment and and everything I'd hoped it would be, um, but you you make you make a walk sort of two thirds around the MCG um, from the tunnel to where you sing, and then you make that same trip back um, to the tunnel again. And um, I've just passed current players, past players, women's players. Um, great commentators, just like a cavalcade of, of, of people that I, you know, essentially worship as a massive cricket fan. Um, off to myself and letting them go about their business. And only one person spoke to me on the way back from singing the anthem. Um, and, and Warren just said, great job, mate. And <laughs> I said, thanks, Shane. And, you know, obviously that's, that's massive. You know, you, you, you'll never feel prouder or more vulnerable than 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 when you've just sung and you just want to know you've done an okay job. Um, and it was Warren who took the time to actually say something to me, which was, you know, I, I won't forget that in a hurry. And it's it's a tiny little moment. You, you'll reference your potentially tinier again, but extraordinary to hear the sheer volume of those that went on and it makes you feel like he he fit four lifetimes into his into his 52 years because he managed to influence so many people personally as well as professionally Mm. Um, but give us yours punter well i mean other than the fact that he's sort of indirectly responsible for the fact i my nickname is punter because he gave the nickname to ricky ponting and Mm. that's the reason why you know i'm real punting because apparently i look like ricky ponting um yeah, so um, the other thing probably to mention that we haven't mentioned in terms of a personal connection for me is that Shane Warne is just about the world's most was the world's most famous St Kilda supporter. Mm. Um, and, you know, he played under-19s at St Kilda, didn't make it, sort of a, you know, was one of the handful of greatest cricketers of all time, but you know, if, I think if he had his time again, he would have wanted to, you know, wanted to be an, a, a foot professional footballer. Um, so round four, 2013, we're playing Essendon. Warney's old man backs for Essendon. So, um, but I managed to finagle a spot in the corporate box for the first time. And, you know, I'm there with my mum and we're in the corporate box and with a bunch of other people we didn't, you know, sort of only, only vaguely knew, I only vaguely knew or didn't know at all. And then I look around and the corporate box next to us is Shane Warne. Um, everyone else in the box is like, oh, Shane, when they get their cameras out, you know, get their phones out, starting to take pictures and all that. And I'm just, I'm not built that well, you know, just I'll let him be, you know. Um, anyway, the game goes on and, and we're getting towed up and I hate losing to Essendon. Um, so I'm not having a great time. Anyway, I guess it's, I guess it's the third quarter and we're, we kick the last, few goals of the third quarter. And I've checked this on AFL tables, and we did kick the last three goals of the third quarter. So my memory isn't failing me here. Anyway, 
Um, so I'm doing what I normally do three quarter time, just sitting there. I might have checked my phone and then I'm just sort of looking around, trying to notice things. And I just sort of look to my right and Morty's looking to his left and we sort of catch a glance at each other. Morty looks me in the eye and then suddenly he starts holding up two fingers and I can sort of, we can't hear each other because of the glass, but he said, I can, I can lip read him. And he's just sort of saying first two, first two, as if to say, you know, we're six goals down at three quarter time. We get the first two of the, the final quarter. It's game on. I just think to myself, you're just like the rest of us, you know, just these tragic St Kilda supporters where the, the hope's what's going to do it to you, you know, and, <laughs> you know, we, we, as I checked the, I've checked the, I've checked the actual record, and I think it took about nine minutes of the, of the final quarter for Essendon to kick a goal, and they kicked the first, and then it was oh, they were off, and they ended up winning by fifty points. This is the game was the game was Brendan Goddard's first game against and killed her, by the way. So, but I just you know, and and that's what I wrote on Saturday on Facebook. You know, he was he was like something we've never seen before, but in that that respect, and I think. This is what indeed into so many people. He's, he he was just like he was just like the rest of us. Um, you know, you get upset. You know, when St Kilda were playing a poor brand of football, they weren't competitive, and you get on social media and oh, this is rubbish. You know, he get you know he'd have. He was. He was certainly not perfect, but you know he never tried to be. So that's my war. That's my warning story, and people who know me, you know, have heard it. But um, hopefully, um. Anyway, it's just another nice little story. But as you said, I think it's something to take it. As everybody seems to have a little shame worn story of some encounter with him where they just like, oh, you know, they and they and they remember it because of the, the sort of time he had for people. Um lots of stories of, you know, standing around for an hour, making sure that every kid who wanted an autograph got one and, and mm. that sort of thing. So cameras on, it, cameras off, dropping into training sessions and you know for local clubs and having a hit uninvited, they referenced him, you know, all the requests he'd get for um, media opportunities and he'd he'd find the most obscure and just call up a radio radio station, you know, in the most obscure town he, that he could just to make somebody's day. Like, yeah, I mean, the, the more I hear about that side of him, it's just impossible, you know, not, not to have the legend grow, I guess. And there's a, there's a part of me that he was so brilliant in the early days of commentary um and prior to him sort of trying to <laughs> it was impossible not to feel like he he started to bring his own agenda to the commentary box um at, you know these last few summers and i had my personal frustrations with his vendetta against mitchell stark uh, as an example and um you know so i think the, the the powers in the commentary box may have been waning somewhat yeah just the just an incredible man, and 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 you know, even to hear the people who only knew him from the commentary box, like uh, Ishigua, um, talk about Warnie and uh, what an amazing man he was. He really just did touch everybody. Yeah, gone. Um, left us at fifty-two years of age, which is um, undeserved and much too young. But uh, I guess uh, we send out our thoughts and our prayers to his family. He must be, you know, he's got three children who are all on their early adulthood it's a terrible time for that to happen so um we wish them all the best uh you'll have a state funeral at the mcg in coming weeks and that'll be a huge moment um but anyway we just wanted to get together and just have a bit of a chat about that and get get our thoughts out there and you know if, if it was helpful to anyone or, or, or you know useful entertaining whatever 
um, we hope we've added a little bit to the discussion. But thanks, Cameron, for joining me. Good on you, mate. Yep, and we'll join you. Uh, you can join us next time on uh, It Should Go Without Saying. Catch you then.